Before we kick off today's show, just want to remind folks one more time about this Bagels and Bloody Marys thing we're doing. One of those great houses on Fifth Avenue. Uh, we're going to be convening there to watch some workouts Saturday morning. So this is coming right up, Saturday the 30th, tomorrow uh, or today, depending on when you're watching this show. I think we're going to get kicked off about 7.30. Sign up, come join. And even if you can't come join, make a donation to support events like this and come to the next one. trfinc.org slash players is the place to go to find the sign-up for our bagels and bloodies on the backstretch, all to benefit our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, trfinc.org slash players. Hello and welcome to the Late Week in the Money Players podcast, which is also in the middle of our Horse Players Happy Hour. want to encourage everybody listening to participate in Horse Players Happy Hour every week. An amazing deal for players. We've got this tour. You only have to play one week to be eligible to participate in the prize pool. We've got $20,000 added as far as that goes. All you got to do, go to horseplayers.com, put up 20 bucks and play Horse Players Happy Hour every week on Thursday. And best of all, the rake goes to Thoroughbred Aftercare, our friends at the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance and also the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, coming to you uh, live at the Brentwood this Sunday, as I will be every Sunday for the rest of the week, and joined by TV's Matt Bernier. Matt, how are things? All good, Pete. Looking forward to chopping up this weekend's racing. We've got a win in your in for the Breeders' Cup Sprint out of Del Mar. We've got a grade one sprint at Saratoga. We've got a three-year-old prep. We've got a Pacific Classic prep. Uh, you name it. I feel like we've got all bases covered. Let's look back before we look forwards. We had the grade one Haskell last weekend win and you're in action for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Many thought of it as a match between Jack Christopher and Taba, but it was Cyberknife who got the spoils, making that big run in the lane and getting the money. What did you think of this performance? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, he was, when you watch the race, he was traveling the best at every point. It was a matter of, would Florent Giroux find any kind of a seam for him to run through? In fact, at the top of the lane, he's able to shoot down on the inside. He kicks on and just holds off Taba, who was closing with a flurry. Um, I, I thought it was a really encouraging effort from Cyberknife, a horse that, you know, I got to interview Brad Cox right after the race, and he still alluded to the fact that the horse mentally is still a bit of a work in progress, but he continues to improve from a speed figure standpoint. And I love that he's willing to run in behind horses, which is something Taba is not willing to do at this point in his career, yes. which is a big red flag with a horse like that, where the talent is off the charts. But the two times he's been in behind horses, the Kentucky Derby, which was a non-effort, and then on Saturday, or last Saturday, in the Haskell, and until Mike Smith got him out into the clear, he looked like he was going to run fourth. He was just paddling along. He gets into the clear, and he finishes with a flurry. So there's a part of me that looks at it and says, Taba, until he irons those things out, yes, he is certainly fast enough to be competitive, but he's got a long way to go. Cyberknife, yes, mentally still needs to continue to improve, but for him to be willing to move up into spots that are rather tight and still kick on with it, the, the, put it this way, his only problem right now is it seems like once he makes the front, he waits on somebody to come to him. Yes, that is a concern, but I think he can iron that out with a horse in time. I would rather at this point in time take Cyberknife than Taba if we're looking long-term. 
I would agree. I mean, Taba looked absolutely finished turning in. I mean, I take your point that maybe some of it was he just doesn't want to be down inside of horses. And when he got outside, he continued to finish with alacrity. But, I mean, Cyberknife beat him on the square with, I think you could argue, a trickier trip. And I I, I just don't like the way Taba travels, you know. I mean, he's good. He's very, very good. But whether it's in his workouts or in his races itself, he, he's a horse who runs in spots. And it's going to be very hard to do that and think you can annex a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. True or false? Yeah, I mean, right now, I, I think it'd be hard to, to fully trust him. I suppose you can say the same thing about Cyberknife, just simply because he's not a completed project yet. But my thought is, Taba still has a lot more learning to do uh, compared to Cyberknife, who at this point, yes, he does have some learning to do, but for him to be willing to put himself into tough positions and still be able to persevere, I think that speaks volumes about his potential. I made the analogy that he reminds me of Authentic, in that the mind has not caught up to the body just yet, but he is still producing grade one efforts. That's a dangerous combination going forward in a positive way, that if the mind catches up to the body, he's going to be a serious threat in any of these big races. And assuming they do continue on with the path they've mapped out to the Travers, I guess the audible would be the Pennsylvania Derby. He's a player in either one of those races. And if he moves forward from a number standpoint, here to 102 winning the Haskell, He's not miles behind some of the best. The older horses are still boss right now, but I could see an improved three-year-old like Cyberknife continuing to jump up that buyer scale and making his presence felt. If you were Al Gold's racing manager, Matt Bernier, what race would you suggest that they should point to next? Uh, I would say the Travers simply because I want to find out truly his ability at 10 furlongs. Now, I don't have any, I personally don't have any doubts about it. He ran the final eighth faster than anyone else in the Haskell. Uh, I thought he looked good all around. I, I don't think that was a horse that was slowing down. We've talked about it, and I, I've stolen your phrase, an upline from a pace standpoint. According to Timeform US, both of his last two races have been uplines where he has run faster as the race has gone on. If you're doing that at a mile and an eighth, I think that bodes well. In races that you figure to get some pace, you're finishing. I, I think there's reason to believe this horse could be even better at 10 furlongs. And if that's the case, which again, I'd like to find out in the Travers, I think he could be a very intriguing prospect come the beginning of November at Keeneland. Credit where credit is due. That's when I've uh, swiped myself from the great Paul Matisse, the NHC champion professional player who uh, makes his own figures. And I, I absolutely learned about that concept from him. And it does seem like Cyberknife is just ever improving. It'll be interesting. As a racing fan, I definitely want to see him go in what looks like it could be a loaded Travers. Maybe we have time for a quick word on the Jim Dandy before we get things done. Before we move on from the Haskell, though, Jack Christopher, I think the Occam's razor opinion, you know, the, the simplest explanation is the best. You know, the way he traveled through the race, the way it looked at the top of the lane, I mean, he looked like he was going to win by three. I, I, I wrote a no finish on my trip note. It, it seems like he's meant to cut back. Is it as simple as that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyone that's drawing any other conclusions, I think, is a bit misguided. Uh, it's not that the horse is not talented. It's just that that final eighth of a mile came back and finally bit him. The pedigree, we were waiting for it to show up. It finally did. Um, that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a major player in whatever one-turn race he continues on with. And I've seen some people bring up the one-turn versus two-turn argument. Oh, he didn't see out the trip. Well, he didn't see out the trip, but it wasn't the two turns that got him beat. He was at he was in front at the top of the lane. He just didn't get that final eighth of a mile. I think yeah. if, he, if all things continue on this way, 
he's arguably the horse to beat in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile at Keeneland going two turns. Uh, the talent is there. He just doesn't want to go that far. Seems what I thought as well, as far as that goes. It was a it was financially painful to me. And then I, I had the double whammy. Um, I, I can't remember why. I think uh, she liked the look of the his chestnut coat or something. Her parent picked Cyberknife. And, of course, she she was at the window with me. So she noticed that I, I bet about 40X on Jack Christopher uh, on the fixed odds there at Monmouth Park as she did uh, on Cyberknife. And, and, of course, she won and, and then says to me after, you know, Daddy, you just should have bet it all on my horse. Yeah, thanks. Pete, look, I, thanks, I, thanks a lot, Parrot. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna echo the same thing though, because fixed odds, and I I, I mentioned it on my pod at the beginning of the week. I, I got down at two seventeen Eastern on Cyberknife at ten to one. And he went off phenomenal. At and again, oh. it, 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 if you're down there in Jersey, I I think it's an absolute no brainer. If you have any sort of ability to to decipher odds and know who's likely to go off shorter than someone else or whatever it may be, and you can lock in value, do it in a heartbeat. I, I it was just it was a no brainer at that point. That's fantastic. I, I was bad. I only uh, I did I did bet Jack Christopher on the tote and lock in the the four to five. But Perrin's bet was more of a last minute thing that I I just threw on the tote. So we, we were stuck with those with those sevens. But I'll tell you what else though. It's no longer as of yesterday. Monmouth at Monmouth. Now, if you're in the state of New Jersey, you can sign up for a Monmouth bets account and get. And it doesn't even matter if you're a Jersey resident. If you're in the state. You can fund and bet on this stuff. It's only Monmouth product right now. That'll change over time. But, yeah, check it out. They're obviously, you know, full disclosure. They're sponsors. But, I mean, I think Matt and I are both speaking 100%. I'm purely looking at it, and you're right. They are sponsors. They're friends of ours. I'm looking at it from a gambling standpoint, a horse player's standpoint. The more options, the better. And when you have an opportunity, if you think that there is obvious value to lock it in and not even think about it as you get closer to post, it's a no-brainer. Let's pivot to Saratoga on Saturday. We didn't really prep. Do you want? Do you want? To, are you prepared to talk about both the Saratoga stakes and both the Del Mar stakes, or what yes, have sir. you looked at so far? Okay, both of them. So Block let's let's start off with uh, the Vanderbilt, right? So that's race number eight. Goes at four fifty Eastern on Saturday. Grade one action. A field of six going postward. I mean, David Aragona. So I had David on the show. I love this guy. So I had him on the show this week talking about two-year-old races at Saratoga, evergreen conversation. Everybody should check it out. But what other morning line maker in the country has the uh, whatever you want to call it to make Jackie's Warrior one to five on the morning line? I mean, he's right. That's the that's the price. If you gave me one to two, it would be better the year type stuff. He just lays over this field in the Vanderbilt as far as I'm concerned. See, and, and this isn't meant as a, as a slight to David, but he's doing his job. I am. It always blows my mind when there's a horse that is very clearly a one to five shot or a two to five shot. And on the morning line, he's made even money. I go, in what world is he going to be even money? He's, he's not <laughs> going to be. So Jackie's warrior full marks to David. He's going to be one to five. I, I can't imagine he's one to nine. I think one to five is spot on. He deserves to be one to five. He's the fastest horse in the race. I don't care that he's carrying extra weight. Um, I'm not a big weight guy in terms of horse racing, unless we're talking about, you know, making it up the fall high weight when they're carrying 140 pounds at aqueduct. But I mean, Jackie's warrior. I think he is strictly the horse to beat. If you're looking to do something, if you're looking to play the race, granted, you probably lose all value in almost every pool just simply because everyone's going to have him keyed on top. 
the horse that I would at least think about including underneath is a horse that uh, admittedly I've had quite a bit of success with, but I think he's really good. I, th- I don't know that he's a superstar, but Willie Boy is in rock solid form, and I love his ability to run on the turns. Granted, it's been at Gulfstream Park, and we'll find out if that translates up upstate at Saratoga, but uh, I think each of his last two races have both been very good. Heck, I thought his run down at Tampa off the layoff was really good, but if you're looking to play something, Jackie's Warrior over Willie Boy, cold punch, exact a 4-2. I will throw in, and you know, you can accuse me of being a homer on this one, and you might not be wrong, but I do think that knee-deep in snow for our friends at 10 Strike Racing will be ridden to just make one run and try to pass horses late. And I think with that in mind, you know, tactically, if the others decide to try to tangle in any way, shape, or form with Jackie's Warrior, I think he has a chance to pass him and, and round out that exactness. So, I mean, look, Jackie's Warrior, we'll see what the prices are when real prices come up. I mean, it, it, like I said, if you get one to two, you bet out on the horse. If he is the one to five that David predicts, and he probably should be, I don't hate the idea of playing like a little four with one, two, and, and hoping one of those two gets in there underneath for the for the exacta. Because I know knee deep in snow has run closer to the lead, but I mean these guys, we know them. They're sharp. They they, they ain't going to lead. Ricardo, who uh, won race for them today, uh, will will be uh, using hold up tactics. I think there's an opportunity he could come past them all, especially now that we have the. Uh, you know, I, it's interesting. He's it, it feels like the six is meant to be a rabbit in the race. I don't know if he's even fast enough to be a rabbit, but maybe. Uh, anybody who risks getting into the teeth of that pace is also risking running last. Pete, the question, the only question is, is Jackie's warrior one to five or one to nine? (laughs) That's the only question. That's the only question in the race. Turn the page and move on. (laughs) Well, while we're talking about Saratoga, I think we should pivot and chat about the very next race, the Jim Dandy grade two action. We've got the return to the races of, some of the horses that, uh, you know, fate, quote unquote, famous horses from the Triple Crown. We've got Zandon, third in the Kentucky Derby. Epicenter, who I'll argue was best in both the dubious distinction of being best in the Derby and the Preakness without winning either one of them. And we've got our Preakness winner early voting in there as well. Who do you think is going to win, Matt? Uh, I like Epicenter. Uh, excuse me, early voting. Let me, I like early voting. I, I think it's one of those situations where, uh, on paper, there's no speed other than early voting. I suppose Epicenter is the one that can go. I talked about it on my pod at the beginning of the week. Epicenter's in the darned if you do, darned if you don't position. If you don't go after early voting, he just walks on the front end, goes off, struts his stuff, and wins. If you go after him, you have to put him away and then hold off your uncoupled stablemate in Zandon or Tawnyport. Uh, it sounds like Western River is going to end up going in the Curlin on Friday, so this is going to be a four-horse field. Um, I, I just... I think early voting is not only the pace setter. I think he's the best horse in the race. And I, I said it before, maybe I'm, I'm naive. I feel like he is still not getting the credit he deserves, even in Chad's own barn. You know, Jack Christopher, we've answered the question. He doesn't want to go this far. But I still feel like people look at Zandon and think he's better. I think early voting is the best three-year-old that Chad's got. I think with a forward move, He's a legitimate threat in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. He's shown that he can win on the leader just off of it. He's stalked fast fractions and still finished. I, I don't know. Early voting looks like the complete package to me. It's not crazy. I think Joel, especially after, to my mind, getting the worst of it in every way, shape, or form in the Preakness, is going to be glued to his hip 
and I think they'll run it like a match race. And I think he just might be subtly a little bit better. You know, the Derby trip we've talked about, I, I certainly don't blame Joel. That was a very difficult decision in that hot pace, being down inside. I think he just, you know, got beat by the miracle run of Rich Strike. And then the I just think the Pimlico trip was a it was just a debacle. You know, it doesn't break. He then has to check again. And then Joel decides to navigate him down to the rail. You know, I get, I mean, look, I wish he'd gone forward, but then you know, the rail wasn't the place to be there for me on that, uh, on that Saturday. We've seen a lot of horses come back who ran on the rail at Pimlico that Saturday. They've run significantly better figure wise. I just think Epicenter might be a little bit better horse and be able to, if he breaks, just sit in his hip. They ride it like a match, and I and I and I think he might hold the cards. We'll see. I mean, I certainly respect your opinion. And if if he doesn't break or Joel gets cute and they let him do his own thing on the lead, I mean, he's certainly the other one I want. I mean, I I think it's a I think it's a hard spot, really hard spot for Tommy Port and Zandon. I'll say that much. I think it's one of those top two, and the winner will come down to how the tactics play out. Yeah, I, I have nothing to add. I mean, I, I think Zandon's a good horse. Uh, mile and an eighth is his trip. I think he's going to be paced compromised, and I think he's running against two horses that, in my mind, are, are better than him. Uh, one of them just happens to be going after the same trainer. I also think, to, to, the, to the same point, come, uh, you know, let's say he runs a big race against the flow, I can still see Zandon being my Travers pick, depending on how it um, all shakes out. With the with the mile and a quarter. Oh my goodness, we have a violent, uh, a, a violent storm ripping through here at the Brentwood, which probably means you know we're basically at the seven furlong shoot. So there's probably a violent storm ripping through Saratoga right now. Just the like uh, that. the the only other thing I would add, I will disagree. I I, I wouldn't touch Zandon with a ten foot pole at a mile and a quarter. You just um, don't think he wants to go that far. I mean, what's the excuse with the Kentucky Derby? I mean, he yeah, had, I mean, he had every, you're right. He's he, meant to go by epicenter. He's meant to be the epicenter. I just, yeah, never mind not winning. I mean, you, you've got to finish second and he didn't. Right. And, no, and that's unless, fair point. you know, and that, I could be entirely wrong, but I, I think the upstart came up and got him. Yeah. It, I think it, up, upstart was a mile, a mile and a 16th, maybe mile and an eighth kind of horse. Uh, he's extremely talented. I just don't think he's a mile and a quarter type. It's a completely reasonable opinion. I, mine was more of a, of a theoretical, um, uh, supposition uh, uh, that if he were to run well against the flow and if he has developed, but you're right. We do sure. have empirical evidence that he doesn't want to go that far at this point. Let's pivot to the West coast, Matt, and talk about the Bing Crosby grade one action win. And you're in action. We'll do that little gimmick where we reset here at the end and do a little two minute thing that maybe a British couple will send out on, on social but this is a complicated enough race that I think we can do a more general discussion. And at the very end, we'll drill down for a minute or two um, as far as our, our final answers go. Um, give me your thoughts on this 10 runner field in general. Fantastic race. I mean, th there's no clear cut standout in here. You can make a case arguably for the entire field in some fashion. Um, I, I kind of looked at it and thought maybe this distance is a bit on the sharp side for him. But if you go back and watch the tape from that triple bend, I thought Principe Carlo did all the dirty work. He put away Brickyard Ride, and he just got nipped by American Theorem, who had the run of the race and just barely won the photo. I know this distance, you know, he's only one for seven at it. He's got a couple of run or a few runner-up finishes, but he likes Delmar. I feel like if he runs that triple bend back, I think he wins. Uh, he can be forward enough that he's either on the lead or just off of it. Uh, and in a race that I, I would not take a short price on anyone, 
because I just think it's that tough. I think it's that competitive. Uh, I'm going to go with Principe Carlo in here. I like your confidence with that selection. I was a little bit interested in Bag Boss at the uh, potential to move forward, trying Stakes Company for the first time. It is a big step up, but looked to me like one who could get the perfect stock and pounce trip in this spot. What do you think of his chances? Yeah, look, I, I thought he moved up very nicely last time out. He had paired up 90 buyers in the runs prior. Comes up, moves up to a 94. The ninth and 11th place finishers were both next out winners with buyers of 91 and 85. So the form is holding up. And again, kind of the way you, you laid it out, he, he should work out a beautiful sort of stalking position, stalking trip, and be able to get the run. Uh, the question is, is he of this caliber? Again, this is a grade one, I think probably in name only, probably closer to a grade two type of field. Uh, but boy, it's uh, it's supremely competitive, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Brendan Walsh walks away with all the all the money. The three and the five, depending on which one of us you decide to listen to, in the Bing Crosby, a win and you're in race four, the Breeders' Cup Sprint. While we're talking about Del Mar, let's move on to the San Diego, a race I know you have uh, a, a lot of interest in in talking about. Nine go to post in here. Who do you like to get the job done? Yeah, fabulous race. I mean, you've got so many of the biggest names in here. You've got Mandaloon. You've got Country Grammar coming back off the lengthy layoff. You've got sort of the the horses that need to prove they belong in this group, whether it's defunded or even a grade one winner like there goes Harvard. Uh, I'm This is probably the race I'm most looking forward to betting on Saturday. And no, the horse is not the likeliest winner by a long shot. Parnelli has paired up by our tops of 93 in his last two starts. I think he's going to move forward here. He beat Extra Hope, who came back and earned a 90 in his next start. The seventh-place finisher earned a 94 in his next start from a 77 earned in that optional claimer. The other thing with Parnelli is he dead-heated with There Goes Harvard two starts back. There Goes Harvard then went on to win the Grade 1 Gold Cup out at Santa Anita, or the Hollywood Gold Cup, I guess technically it's called again. I think Parnelli is a prime example of a horse early on the connections thought highly of. They ran him in the, the Santa Anita Derby. They put blinkers on, draw a line through that race, draw a line through the synthetic race. Oh, as my camera goes out, uh, draw a line through the two turf starts. And I think you're looking at a horse that is very dirty and makes all the sense in the world at what should be at least 10 or 15 to one in a race where most of the competitors are prepping. I think Parnelli could steal this thing. I love the case. It's very exciting. Much more interesting than me telling you that country grammar has the best form in the race. And I think country grammar, just based on the form that he's established and the figures that he's run makes the most sense. But as you said it out loud, it, it resonated with me. Is there a, a potential that he's really just prepping a little bit short? He runs second, maybe to a longer price, like your, your Parnelli. What do you think about country grammar in here? Yeah. I mean, I think country grammar is still one of the best horses as far as this division is concerned. Um, I just feel like a mile and a 16th, this is nothing more than a means to an end to get ready for the mile and a quarter P classic where we'll get the showdown with flight line. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like this is nothing more than, you know, get me to whatever the next spot is. Um, Mandaloon. I, I I'll tell you what, according to time form us, that Stephen Foster is going to be the race of all races. As far as the breeders cup classic is concerned, because they have, the top five horses in there running faster than anyone in this race is capable of. And I, it, if that's the case, I won't be surprised. But at the same time, um, I, I kind of want him to prove that he is of this caliber. 
And beyond that, I think there's a lot of other horses that need to prove that that they actually can handle Delmar. They can handle better company. There's so many different pieces in here. Um, I just wanted to take a price. Like the sound of it. Great stuff, Matt. Appreciate that. And uh, if you're watching the late week show, we'll be back right after this. Today's show also brought to you by our friends, the Betmakers. Fixed odds betting powered by Betmakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park. The early returns, as we've been telling you, they've been fantastic. 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Love getting the opportunity to take advantage of the fixed odds betting last weekend. Even when my bet didn't work out on Jack Christopher, I still felt a little bit smart because I got the best of the number. And that's something. That's everything in the big picture long term of life. Soon, fixed odds betting is going to be available throughout the state. How soon? Well, how soon is now, to quote the Smiths, because the Monmouth Bets app, Monmouth Park uh, app, is now going on throughout the state. You can get involved with that. Go to the App Store and download the Monmouth Bets app, and you're going to be continuing to hear a lot more about that app and all kinds of fixed odds betting opportunities across the In the Money Media Network. Next up on the show, very happy to welcome back our man who talks about so many things on this network. We had a really uh, enjoyable chat looking back at Haskell Weekend and also what's been going on at Saratoga. You can check that out in the In the Money media feed. He's here today to talk about this Saturday's racing at Monmouth Park from both a potential win early pick five and also fixed odds betting perspective. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on, my friend? I'm doing great, Pete. We're thick of, in the thick of the summer action, so it's a lot of fun. And we had some big news about New Jersey racing and fixed odds this week. Was hoping we'd get uh, Dallas Baker to tell us more about it. I don't know. He's sleeping in. I don't know what's going on. He'll be here. He'll be here soon. Uh, not on this show, but uh, this Mammoth Bets app is now live. When you were down there, did you have a chance to, to check it out? Have you, have you seen a beta version or anything? What, what are we expecting for this thing? Yeah, it's going to definitely uh, increase the, the exposure of the fixed odds offerings uh, via the app that'll be available to New Jersey residents. They're going to be able to get down on fixed odds betting at a variety of racetracks beyond just Monmouth. So there's a contract signed with, I think about a dozen at this point, that number is expected to expand as time goes by. And obviously everyone who's uh, interested in it will now have the opportunity to play fixed odds uh, betting outside of just Monmouth. So very, very exciting and uh, appreciative of the state of New Jersey being a little bit more on the, the innovative and aggressive side when it comes to wagering options. And I know the, uh, the folks at BetMakers are really excited about it. So I believe it's up and running, and uh, I think it'll get even more popular as time goes by. Go to the App Store, check it out, monmouthbets.com. We'll have a lot more information, not only about the app and how that works, but also about the additional content that's going to be on there. And obviously, uh, extra betting content means lots more opportunities for us to provide coverage. So you, you're going to be hearing, you've been hearing a lot about fixed odds. I think they're going to be hearing a lot more in the coming uh, weeks and months as well as this gets rocking and rolling. And, and then presumably the, there might be some uh, bookmaker options as well. In addition to the, the house feed, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. What, what, what are you expecting to really happen in this next evolution for fixed odds betting in New Jersey? Um, well, I'm looking forward to people understanding where fixed odds betting fits in the landscape. And there seems to be a, a big misunderstanding of that. It's, it's always ironic that you know, horse players offer up a lot of suggestions about and, and horse players are my people. Don't don't question it for a second, but offer up suggestions about, you know, innovation and things that could make 
the product offerings better. And I think fixed odds definitely is one. I think there's been way too much conversation and concern about limiting uh, winning players. Now, obviously that's something that will develop over time, but I do think in the short term, what we'll see is that it's going to break down a barrier to entry for a potential group of new players that are familiar with uh, the fixed odds, a decimal offering. And I think that that is always a good thing. Anything that's going to make it easier to get into the pools is a good thing. How it will affect the, the rank and file, the day-to-day players. I think we won't see terribly much of that right away. It'll evolve over time. I think we have to have the offerings there. Obviously, the sharper players are going to want to see what the prices are like and where there might be some value versus what they can do on the tote. So I think the – and you and I were there in, in Tucson back in December – when a conversation took place about fixed odds cannibalizing the tote, I think that's something that might end up happening in the long run. In the short run, I think it's just going to be another option for a sharp punter that wants an opportunity to get involved in a pool where they can exploit what they think is a price advantage. And bottom line, as long as they're able to do that at a decent amount of money, that's a good thing. I think it's going to be additive, honestly. I think some of the tote declines you saw in a place like Australia were where they were doing fixed odds for exotic betting as well right. as win betting. And if you if you look at the, the bigger economic picture, I think that the fans that come in and the new customers who are created are going to far outweigh the loss that you might see in the win place and show pools at places that, that have fixed odds. But even there, I could see a world in which, especially if it's win pool betting done right, like there is in New York right now, that it just – continues to be another option, another place to to shop for prices. Obviously, we'll see how it plays out. We'll be looking very, very carefully at the data, but uh, it's my firm belief that this is a massive net positive for the industry. And I'm not just saying that because uh, they're, they're clients. I really, I believe this and was saying these kind of things about fixed odds betting long before we had a business relationship with bet makers. Let's dive into these races on Saturday though, Nick, starting with our very first race, 12-15 is the post time. And this is the nation's first pick five, this win early pick five at Monmouth. We kick things off with maiden special weights going a mile and 70 on the dirt. I don't know if you have the final fixed odds yet, or I'm curious to know what you know in terms of what the fixed odds market's going to put up for these. And very curious what numbers will be on your win early pick five ticket as well. Yeah, I have uh, I have a, a very close uh, list. So we're going to, we're going to be looking at, uh, at Loose Goose being a slight favorite here um, over Triple Elvis and Crack the Code. It's uh, sort of funny that Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown enter Friday's Saratoga card tied in the standings. And here they're going to do battle at Mammoth with a couple of horses that they've sent down to AAA. And uh, both looking for opportunities to clear the maiden ranks, um, having been a little disappointing at some point in their career. Loose Goose actually ran at Mammoth last time out, finished a good second. Triple Elvis comes back second off a layoff uh dropping in class so to speak i know going from maiden special to maiden special but no doubt the uh, belmont editions of those races quite a bit tougher it looks like one of those two should probably get the job done i maybe favored triple elvis slightly from a handicapping standpoint i think you're probably going to be around three dollars on him decimal for the uh, the fixed odds market crack the code will probably be in the neighborhood of uh a five dollars or roughly and i think you'll see a little bit of support for strasburg probably in that six dollar range as well but definitely the expectation is one of these two from the Pletcher or Brown Barnes get it done. All right. I'm going to list your ideas as far as the pick five goes as a six, four in here. And with that, we'll pivot to the back end of the early double, the second leg of the win early pick five. We've got maiden claimers at the $40,000 level going six furlongs on the dirt. 
field of seven going postward and looking at the at the morning line at least looks a little competitive at the top of the market how do you predict the the fixed odds numbers are going to go up yeah i think much like the morning line we're going to see favoritism likely split between deep faith the one and amity road the six probably each in the uh, neighborhood of uh two dollars fifty three dollars that range i think with the uh the market shifting it maybe just a tad in the at the end of the day I think the the horse that'll be interesting from a fixed odds perspective will be my gal Val, who is now in the care of Louis Linder after a couple of starts in New York for George Weaver. Definitely faced tougher competition. Interesting thing, of course, about this horse is that he's got some speed. So that's always something you wanna you wanna keep in mind when you're dealing with a place like Mammoth. The two favorites of the two of them, Deep Faith, definitely a lot quicker early. I think there's an expectation that he'll be somewhat forwardly placed. Did run an improved race last time for 25. Now back up to 40, same as the case with Amity Road. And so you you have these class, these lower level maiden claiming types now jumping up and facing, uh, I think, what is probably a field with a little bit more depth than they did last time out. Another one that'll get some action, I think, on the, uh, the fixed odds market will be Jet Speed. You're going to be looking at about $5 on him. New to the care of Michelle Hemingway, who quietly has had success in New Jersey and New York both over the last couple of months. This one shows up as a new gelding. He's where I landed. I don't love the layoff, but from a handicapping perspective, this felt like an interesting horse, and there was enough going on uh, with the favorites to lead me there. So in, in from a pick five perspective, I would get bullish and, and loan age at speed and try and back up with the one, four, and six and create a little bit of value there. I like the sound of that. Five with one, four, six for Nick in this, uh, in this one, and we'll see how that uh, plays out on Saturday. Let's move on to race number three, the hinge of this early pick five. We've got an allowance race, three and up fillies and mares going five and a half on the turf and a field of 10 signed on in this one. Where did you go? Yeah, I, I think it's a three horse race from a pick five standpoint. I'm going to use the two, six and 10 and that's it. Um, I think Insatiable is the horse to beat coming in out of the blue sparkler facing elders again, which she did on debut when she was victorious. She stumbled and lost jockey uh, uh, Isaac Castillo two starts back. That was the race in which he was injured and he's been out since then, hopefully back soon enough. But this Phillies run two very good races and races that she actually finished. And, uh, and I think she's going to get enough pace to run out in the late stages. The interesting horse from a trip perspective is the 16 drama who was in position going around the turn last time out and then ended up getting into some pretty serious traffic trouble that really cost her a lot. And, and if she gets back to her debut effort, I think she's got a big shot to make noise in here at what should be a relatively attractive price from a fixed odds perspective. We're probably looking at about $4, maybe somewhere between four and $5 when all is said and done. And then you have the New York red silky blue, who's coming to New Jersey for trainer Jorge Duarte Jr., who, of course, is based in the Garden State. This one's been knocking heads with much tougher competition in New York, including an open one other than field last time out at six panels at Belmont. That's just a much tougher race than this one. The recent bullet workout 10 days ago, I think, really signals her readiness. And in terms of order of preference for the two, six and 10, is it in that order or would you juggle them a bit? I'd probably say two, 10, six in that order, but uh, I would definitely want to use each of them equally. When you mentioned the two runners merits insatiable, you, you mentioned the race, the blue sparkler, which made me chuckle because when we were at Monmouth last week, had the, the family in tow and Perrin noticed on the wall, they have a New Jersey bred hall of fame or a New Jersey racing hall of fame and blue sparkler was in it. And for some reason, Perrin was fascinated and was like, he asked me for days after like, tell me more about blue sparkler. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that uh, poking around on Equibase, I found a, a, an old PP cut. It didn't have every race, but Blue Sparkler was a heck of a uh, heck of a race mare. 
back in the 1950s, won all manner of stuff. And I don't know, I may, I may see if I can get a blue sparkler print now for Perrin as part of my, you know, uh, overall mission to indoctrinate her into being a horse racing fan, which, by the way, you helped with the other day. Our, our method, uh, I was scrambling. There, there, there wasn't a lot of handicapping going on. So, so our method was Perrin would look at the names. If nothing leapt out at her, I would read her your three selections from Saratoga over at uh, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And one of them, and this is terrible that I'm already, no, I remember. Uh, one of them, a, a cool name, interesting little pedigree, was uh, number seven in a maiden race the other day, Miracle, who Perrin decided she would put her $10 to win on. And yeah, there, oh, there's going to be, yeah, whole, a whole number, of, a whole bunch of new Squishmallow stuffed animals, Nick. I'm going to try to get her to name one after you. I like it. I, yeah, Miracle was a good uh, <clears throat> good result for anybody who backed it, no question about it. I could have used the second horse a little bit more personally, but Miracle was all right. <laughs> Let's talk about race number four at Monmouth. We've got Maiden Special Weights going five and a half on the dirt and a field of seven going postward. The morning line has Frosted Faith as a heavy favorite, even money. What the, What's going on with the fixed odds with Frosted Faith? That, that big of a favorite as well? Yeah, he's probably going to be around a dollar eighty or so, which is uh, going to be you know the in the neighborhood of where Jack Christopher was closing price in the Haskell heavy favorite expected to win for trainer Anthony Margotta Jr. coming back off a layoff. You know, this is just one of those situations where on paper he really lays over the field. I think the six Golden Wildcats going to get a little bit of action in the fixed odds market, uh, starting at about six or seven dollars. Not a bad effort on debut at Parks. Now drawn favorably on the outside to maybe stalk and pounce, but all eyes are going to be on Frosted Faith, who's expected to win this race. And, and if he can bring that good form that he had down in Florida up to New Jersey, I think he'll be very, very tough to handle. One other horse I would use as a backup in the pick five is the three, our pride and joy, who is going to go off a significantly shorter price than, uh, than he did last time out when second at 52 to one, but there was undoubtedly big improvement in him first time with Lasix first off a long layoff for trainer Ramon Martin, probably want to, Use him as a backup, but I think Frosted Faith is a likely winner. I'll uh, I'll use the three and six as backups. We're going to do one more race on the show in the Monmouth segment. It's the the Tyro going five furlongs on the turf, two year old stakes action, a hundred thousand dollars in the pot here at a field of seven going to post. As far as the win early pick five goes, Nick, how are we going to get paid? Interesting thing about the winter early pick five is that I think this is a contentious field. And so I'm inclined to use the one, two and six in the pick five and um, and probably end up backing up with the four and five from a fixed odds perspective. I think we're going to see favoritism likely drift towards sharp as attack, probably around two dollars fifty somewhere in that range. There's always going to be an upgrade for a horse that broke its maiden at a place like Santa Anita. When you're talking about Monmouth, this horse also gets Lasix for the first time, being that Monmouth doesn't uh, have any restrictions on using Lasix in stakes races. So there's a lot to like. And I think the fact that, that Doug O'Neill is willing to put this one on the road is, uh, is probably more of a positive sign than anything. There are more opportunities for a turf sprinting two-year-old who already has a win in the, uh, on the Eastern side of the country than, than at Del Mar. So a sharpest attack obviously has plenty of merits. Jeremy's jet won a race, and, and I've actually already inquired with the DRF. That was not an open maiden special weight race. So there, there should be a restricted designation that's going to be added to this horse's PPs at some point because that was one of the, the maiden auction RNA races where you had to be uh, you had to have gone for less than 50,000 or less or RNA in order to get it. But he was very impressive. 
And, uh, and I think that's an effort that you want to take seriously. There's turf pedigree on the dam side. Power Attack also got a bunch of money when he went up to New York to race uh, against New York Breds sprinting on the turf at Belmont. So plenty of reason to think that he is dangerous as well. So I, I thought it was a fun race. I think there's a, there's a lot of, of interesting things going on. Dangerous Ride goes out for a particularly dangerous barn. Also gets Lasix as well. Not a ton of turf pedigree here, and that was why I was a little bit hesitant. But uh, I think we'll end up seeing a fixed odds favorite just bouncing back and forth in, in that neighborhood of $2.70 or so on Sharpa's attack. I think there'll be some support for both Power Attack and Jeremy's Jet as well. I'm going to try and close out the, the win early pick five with the one, two, and six and back up with the four and five. Great stuff, Nick. Appreciate your time and efforts. Remind folks to check out this new app, Monmouth Bets. Go to the App Store um, and check it out. I said Monmouth Bets. It's Monmouth Park Bets, isn't it? Um, The new betting app, it just launched, and we're going to have a lot more information about it when we get Dallas on with us next week. But yeah, the, the, the next evolution in fixed odds betting, you know, it's moving out of its embryonic Monmouth at Monmouth only stages. And there's going to be a whole lot more to report in the coming weeks. Thank you for your time, Nick. Thanks a lot, Pete. Good luck, everybody. Three, two, one. Today's show brought to you in part by our friends from Woodbine. So happy to be working with Woodbine again this year. The Queen's Plate Countdown is on. That race scheduled for August 21st and lots of good stakes action before that. Bunch of stuff going on August 6th and August 7th at Woodbine, including the Ontario Colleen Stakes, the Georgia Bay Stakes, the Lake Huron Stakes. We'll be covering it all here on the In The Money Media Network. And I hope you enjoy this upcoming segment presented by our friends at woodbine.com. Next up in the show, happy to bring in our man to speak with when it comes to all things related to Woodbine from InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He is Drew Cotney. Drew, what's going on? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you today? Doing very well. Excited about a big weekend of racing, and that includes some action north of the border up in Toronto. We had some great action last week when it comes for to uh, prep stuff for the Queen's Plate. How impressed were you with uh, with Moira in that race? Oh, man. Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong about Moira. She really showed up and uh, left nothing to question amongst that bunch. She's going to be great. Wait, what were your thoughts? I was very impressed. Looks like the potential favorite for the Queen's Plate. Maybe we'll try to do a segment with some of our friends up there as we've done in past years where we do like a way too early look at the Queen's Plate and see who the the key contenders are. But for me, Moira is probably uh, right there, number one on top of the list at this point. Yeah. No, that'd be awesome. That'd be great. That'd, That'd be a must listen. We have Woodbine action continuing this weekend. We're going to talk about the last four races on the card on Saturday, kicking off with race number seven, where we have a starter allowance for three and up fillies and mares going a mile on the inner turf. Who did you come up with in here, Drew? Yeah, nothing too creative. I think Bella and Nina uh, will get the best of trips. Uh, stalking and pressing and uh, should tip out. I think the previous uh, second off the layoff successes have proven pretty useful for this horse here so overall figures nothing too creative uh, uh for this one but the two other interesting horses are the number four endorphin rush at 12 to 1 i use as a backup i think ran a sneaky good race closing into those very slow factions at the sprint distance going six furlongs uh and getting back into the eight furlongs will help get this horse right back into a presser spot with upside left of the four-year-old so the number four endorphin rush I don't think we can go wrong at 12 to one, probably drifting up. And then the number five, Anne of Cleves, Ron Gearking's horse. Uh, I think this is a great closer that could fit quite well 
around this uh, distance. And I don't love that there isn't a ton of speed, um, but I think that price is going to hang around eight to one. And if things un unravel a little bit, the number five Anne of Cleves will be there. So single A on the number three and then two backups with the four and the five. I believe Bellanina is the number two, no? I could be wrong. Maybe it's... Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I do have that wrong. So Let's double check. A... Yep. Uh, a two, four, the... and five for Drew. And I'm with you on Bellanina. One of the, the great no-shot trips of the meet on seasonal debut back on July 3rd. Didn't get away great. Carried wide throughout. Trying to close into a slow pace. Surely going to come on for that run and fits just super well on the previous races. I was all about the two. Drew with the idea to back up with the four and the five in race number seven. We'll move on to the feature. We've got the Niagara Stakes going a mile and a quarter on the turf with 100,000 in the pot. Some big names in here, including uh, the one-eyed wonder, Mighty Heart. But I'll tell you what, I every horse at the lower end of the odd spectrum, for one reason or another, I don't trust Town Cruz, another one who should certainly be name-checked talking about this race, being the, the Woodbine Mile winner. Frosted Over has the numbers. British Royalty, an old favorite of the show. All Every single one of those runners, I have one type of question or another about. For me, British Royalty, even with all the speed signed on, apparently still think this might be too sharp. I went with number nine, who's the star? Maybe can be ready for a star turn with a big run in this featured stake. I love the angle of a runner that improves significantly on a new service surface rather that's what who's the star did last time and he did so over the same course and distance with what i thought was probably a suboptimal setup trying to close into blue fractions who's the star for me in the niagara how do you see it drew Cotney? yeah i i like your idea here i am with you that a lot of the shorter odds there's a lot of question marks there's going to be a lot of speed uh into this race and i'm going to, with another creative angle with the number two collective force uh for the value we're going to see on this runner, um, it, it's going to be my top choice. We get Gallardo for the first time, and, and and he needs to rate out of the speed in this race and stick to the rail. That could be a winning recipe for this four-year-old, who I believe still has some great upside left in really muddy form uh, for this year so far. If we're right about this, we're going to get paid because this horse is going to pay easily over 30 to 1. I think that odds are going to drift up. The, getting to the more logicals, I really like the number one, like the king as well. If you can't tell, I'm on a theme of finding pressers or stalkers to close into this pace that I think is going to unfold. And it's another horse who's going to get that exact trip in the overall class of always hitting the board, except for those last two races where this horse was outclassed completely. So getting back into this ranks, I think the number one, like the King at 12 to one is really interesting. And I'll use as a backup, the number four, Sibylian, Sibolian, uh, cross entered at Saratoga. So we'll see if this, where this horse goes, probably someone out there knows exactly where this horse is barn today and can answer this question for us. But I think there's just decent backlash and closing into those neutral or slow fractions and today's distance uh, will help work out that trip better. So the two and the one on the A-line and the four is a backup for me. We're getting creative in this race. I think it's going to be bombs away. We'll see. Of course, now that we both have that approach, it could end up being chalk chalk. But we'll we'll take that chance and we'll see if we can't be right and get some prices home in the Niagara, which will lead us to the back half of the four races we're talking about today. Next up, we've got 
uh, maiden special weight, six furlongs on the synthetic for fillies and mares, three-year-olds and up, and a field of eight going postward. Going to have a big favorite here, according to the morning line, in Menagerie at six to five. Are you with or against? I'm against Menagerie. I just can't see how this horse keeps losing with the figures this one has. And there's some others that get me interested if we just look past the surface and say maybe there's still upside left. And that's how I'm going to play this race. If Menagerie wins, I lose. No big deal. But I think we're going to get great value elsewhere because my my bet is the betting public is going to be really hammering Menagerie. So into the picks we go, the top choice would be the number two, the hard way. In these type of races, speed sometimes can be deadly. We get blinkers coming on. Four-year-old is going to grab and send the rail and could continue to improve. I think it is significant the last race was over the six and a half and cuts back to the flat six. Uh, dead send and go could be an interesting one here. And then just two other backups I'm going to use is the fire emoji, the number eight, a 10 to one. It's had some newfound speed, second off, drop in class. Uh, and there's only really one way for that one to go, and it's speed. And then the number six roadmap at five to well, I think ran well enough second off the bench uh, with fire emoji in that race, but maybe this lighter bunch will help set up this one for a win. So the two as an A and then the eight, six is a, a B for me, but a wide open betting race, in my opinion. I have the same horse as you. I like the hard way, the number two runner, quite a bit. Inside part of the track was good, according to uh, Ron Gierkink back on June 10th. Does such a great job analyzing the Woodbine races and the daily racing form. And as obviously, as we mentioned, uh, with him having a horse in the car today involved in the industry in other ways, hopefully we'll get him back on one of these shows too. But yeah, a little bit of a bias upgrade for the hard way coming out of that. Worked twice since, and I thought just fits well. It has slower numbers uh, than some of these others, but does, I agree with you, project to get the lead. I don't know, maybe if we're both coming up with the same 10 to one shot, we're not likely to be 10 to one, but I think a lot of money is going to land on the three menagerie and also on the four heckler's aura i was going to mix them in with the hard way in exactus i'll take another look at your longer shots as well the six and the eight i'm going to end up keying the hard way in exactus here might be my favorite play of the day i'll ask yours uh, when we get through the fourth of the races we're going to talk about on the show which is our nightcap where we've got fifteen thousand dollar claimers going a mile on the inner turf for fillies and mares three-year-olds and up if you're, we are deciding to play the pick four, Drew, another way to approach the four races we're talking about on the show, how are we going to get paid? Yeah, uh, it's simple for me. Number five, Princess Helene at two to one. Overall best figures. Hasn't drawn within the eight posts in the last two races, being forced to go wide in the last start. And uh, I think this one's just going to lay over the field. The two to one morning line, I imagine we're going to get odds on for the price on this runner. So cold single for me, number five, nothing too creative. You and I are the same in three of the four races today. I thought Princess Aline moved wide and maybe a hair fat early in that fast paced race. I'm hoping she can bide her time this time around and strike in this spot where there looks to be ample speed. I hope you're wrong about odds on. That would be a little too short, I think, for me in this spot. But at anything you know, eight to five, nine to five, two to one. I would be very happy making that a, a confident win bet. And maybe I will single some pick fours with her on the end of the four races we spoke about, uh, which one would you be most willing to, to, to make sort of your play of the day? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm torn between race 10 and the number five princess Helene, which I think we're going to get 
such little value on. I'm going to go to race seven in the handicap on that eight furlongs over the turf. I'm going to look at the prices of the number two and the number four, the Bellanina and Endorphin Rush, and play those two and maybe a Dutch win combination so that uh, we can work out a two-to-one will pay, maybe a three-to-two will pay. If either of those horses win, we'll get paid three-to-two. So most likely, if we had a $100 bet, we'd probably have 70 or $80 going through uh, Bellanina and maybe $20 going through Endorphin Rush to get to that three to two probable, but we'll see how the prices play out. If it gets too short, we'll probably avoid it, but that's where I'm at for the best bet race seven. And in terms of head to head, there's only one choice, the rare day where we're the same pick and long shots too. Well, mostly in, in three of the four races. So we've got to go with the stakes. Will you give me my, who's the star against your collective force? Or do you, do you want me to throw another one in there for you? I let's just do like the King versus your number. Nine. Okay. Both 10 to ones on the morning line, both, both Mark Cassie runners. I like that. We'll see yep. how it plays out in the Niagara. Looking forward to betting Woodbine on Saturday. Drew, thank you so much for your time. We worked together to come up with a good time to do this this week and uh, we'll do it again next week. What do you think? Cheers. Love it. Let's let's actually no. next week. I think I might be off. Uh, we got some golf going on Thursday and Friday, so I may <laughs> have to skip. So, all right, it, it, fair it, enough. We'll we'll find an able substitute for you, and and we'll 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 talk. I, I think I'll have done some other interesting cooking projects in the interim. We can we can yap about that the next time you're on, whenever that may be. Fantastic. Thank you. Cheers. Next up on the show, right. this is a guest I have been very excited to have on in the past, and thrilled to have him here. A little bit of a different role this time. He's been on to talk about his books in the past, including the classic Kinky Handicapping, including the newly reissued Please Hold All Tickets. I encourage everybody to go back and find the interview we did several months ago about that book. That was a fun conversation, but this is a whole different deal now. We're we're making him pick some horses today. He is legendary handicapping author and all-around good dude. Mark Kramer. Mark, what's up? Yeah. Now, Pete, remember that I did pick for you Loves Only You in, in, for the that's Breeders' right. Cup. So, you were on so the Breeders' I, I'm Cup. I'm still around. I'm still picking horses. Yeah, yeah that's right. That was a, 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 that was a fantastic selection. You were well on to the, the, the Japanese threat at the Breeders' Cup before most other people. And I, I threatened at the time to have you come on here and be our French racing correspondent, which I have not been good about keeping up with but you know hey you're here to talk about this pick six and and that should be good hey before we dive into that though tell us a little bit more about uh, how the promo plan's been going with the book please hold all tickets recently reissued are you you happy with uh, the way things are trucking along have you been doing some other book publicity yeah um well in fact uh since i've been here and here bicycling most of the time i haven't had a chance to do the publicity i'd like to do but Evidently, uh, a video here and, a, and, a, and an interview there. The book is uh, hanging in there quite well. And, uh, and I'm pleased because uh, it t- there are good stories here that will revive your thrill of racing. I buy that. And I'll also say this. No matter what, all kinds of horse players. We've been talking about this on the show a lot lately about different horse players have different intents that go to the races for different reasons. No matter what type of horse player you are, I think it's safe to say that you're going to recognize yourself in some of those uh, characters in, in this amazing uh, retelling of, uh, of the Don Quixote story in, in Please Hold All Tickets. You, do you stand by that statement? You think that's right? Uh, absolutely. We used to have a class 
called Probability uh, Theory and Horse Race Handicapping in Los Angeles City College. And we have some of the greatest handicappers visit us. I was the guy who organized the class, but I didn't present myself as the expert. We had a lot of guests like Barry Meadow, uh, James Quinn, but I got to know so many handicappers and so much handicapping psychology uh, that, man, I, I, I felt like going back to, to university and studying psychology to get a degree in horseplay or psychology, but I couldn't find any university that offered the degree. Uh, we'll have to so, I, so I wrote the book instead. That's great. That's great. Um, let's talk about these races at Saratoga on the Saturday. Actually, one more tangent before we do that. Because I know you have, and this will come as zero surprise to anybody who's read your fantastic work over the years, but you have a little bit of a different way of looking at things. And some of it has to do with looking at these races through the lens of human connections. And I know you had some information you wanted to share. Well, when a shorter meet begins or a classic meet begins, I usually prepare by doing long shot jockey standings and long shot trainer standings beginning with the very first day of the meet. And usually patterns start to emerge from the get-go as to which jockeys are going to win at five to one or up and which trainers are going to win at five to one or up. And I'd like to share this with you because I, I had one discovery, uh, Castellano, his two long shot wins at the time I did the statistics uh, were both at the five and a half furlong um, turf, which is especially distance. And lo and behold, uh, yesterday, he hits another one for 38.40. So he's got three long shots. Castellano has three long shots in my standings, all of them on this one five and a half turf. So you That's find so interesting because we yeah. think of it as a specialist distance for horses. That's a fascinating idea that it could be a, a specialty distance for a jockey. Has he shown in his, have they been all the same? Have they been all, you know, wire to wire or all deep closers? Is there anything else that sort of unites those wins or, or maybe he just has more of a general feel for the course? There, um, no, there are three different uh, trainers in fact. And I think that it's just a question of uh, you have to have a good sense of timing the athletic part of, of uh, riding that distance, I think, is more important. Now, there's another jockey that also does well at that distance on the turf, which is Franco. Two of his three long shots uh, were both on the turf, five and a half furlongs. Uh, and the other uh, long shot win that Franco had was also a sprint. It was on the dirt. So it looks like Franco is uh, going to be good with long shots at the shorter distances. And this, the way the standings have come out so far, uh, the, the guy that I predicted was going to be under the radar, radar, even though he won the jockey title last, last year, is Sias. And lo and behold, I told you right from the get-go on him. And now yep. he's leading the long shot jockey standings with six. And five of those are on the turf, by the way, turf routes. Uh, the next two closest competitors are uh, Jay Ortiz and Rosario with four. And then you have Franco and oh, and, and Pratt just got his fourth, too. And then you have Franco and Castellano with three. So uh, and in the trainers, uh, right from the get go, Michael Maker started out and he's leading the, the long shot trainer standings with four. Now, this is 
prior to, to Friday's uh, results, okay? Michael Maker has four. The next is uh, Chad Brown with three. And then we have four, five guys with two. Uh, Cassie Engelhart, the C. Engelhart. Uh, Pletcher, which is both on the turf, both of his long shots on the turf. Joe Sharp, which gives more um, a value to Michael Maker because Joe Sharp was the assistant of Michael Maker, if I recall correctly. And Shatino, uh, both of whose wins are on, on the turf. So uh, this gives me a chance, especially if you're doing a pick six and preparing for today, is that if you want to go deep in a, in a race and you may not really like a horse, a lot of times pick six, the problem is you have these maybe horses that you don't hate and you don't like. And if you throw them in, it's going to cost me an extra couple of hundred dollars or something. What do you do? But at least this gives uh, a way where you can throw in a horse that you may not love, but it has a trainer stat. A lot of times, that's how I love to use trainer statistics and ideas like this. You don't like to get beat in a spread race. You have those three races in a pick, say, say where you have an opinion and you want to get it narrowed down. If you have in that spread race a reason to throw in a long shot, that can sometimes be the, the, the way to unlock a major score. So we appreciate that. And I think it's a great point about Saez. You know, I mean, yeah, he, he, the, the way the jockey colony has evolved, where it seems like, paramutually speaking, the IRAD fan club has never been out in more full force. And then the, the, the arrival of Pratt on the scene as well. Maybe he's getting lost a little bit. And, and he is someplace to look to find value. And you're getting, you're getting value on a brand name, which isn't something you can always say in, uh, in, in horse racing. So I, I think it's a valid point. Glad you brought it up. And now very curious to turn to some specifics, starting with the first leg of this pick six on Saturday's card. Race number six, we've got three and up. Phillies and mares in an allowance race going a mile and a 16th on the inner turf. Mark, how do you want to light this candle? Well, look, um, there, uh, I try to not use proven losers at the, at the level uh, following James Quinn's advice. And um, I came up with one horse here who is not a proven loser and actually won at the track. And that is blissful uh, with, uh, with Saez by coincidence. Uh, nine to two on the morning line. Sherry DeVoe is the trainer. She has a real good statistic. And uh, this horse actually won as a first-time starter at Saratoga on the turf. So he's coming back. It's his third career race. And I think it's a lightly raced horse. Uh, I like him. And then um, uh, there's a long shot here that is a possibility. Only the uh, Missy Greer, the two-horse, um, I just brought this horse to my attention because the combination of Cargan and Carmouche uh, had a long shot win uh, earlier in this meet. And uh, this horse likes the turf. They had a long shot turf winner. So, you know, it's the type of horse that I didn't really like that much, but I'm not going to throw away. At 12 to 1, it, you can't really go too wrong and coming out of stakes company, getting back on the grass, a surface where she had some success. I can hear where you're going with that. I was going to go with a horse. I don't think we can quite call the nine ensemble a proven loser yet. And I just think that the, the, the ensemble is probably a little bit better than it looks based on that first run. I thought that it was reasonable to assume that maybe she was a bit short off the long layoff. And I thought she was at a tactical disadvantage there against a loose leader. 
looking at the work tab, appears to have worked forwardly since. And I think she's going to be flying late on. I went with the nine ensemble, and I definitely respect your ideas as runners to try to put in there with her. And then the obvious form and figure horses who maybe um, uh, will deserve to get a, uh, a call as well are the number one and three. I was going to have them on some backup lines additionally, but my main opinion in race number six is number nine, Ensemble. And with that, we'll move yeah. on to the second leg of this uh, pick six, unless you had a further thought on that one, Mark. Well, Marvelous Maud, uh, sometimes you form prejudices when, you, when you're reading a racing form. And Marvelous Maud reminded me of Marvelous Marv Throneberry of the, <laughs> of the infamous New York Mets. With the so, iron glove. And, and, he, and then legendary <laughs> in the beer commercials, too. <laughs> right. And so... You know, maybe I was prejudiced against Marvelous Maud because of that. But let's go on to the next race. Good idea. Any excuse to talk about the Mets after a, a nice week getting getting two wins against the against the Yankees? I'll never I'll never turn down the opportunity to, to crow about yeah. that. Let's talk about this seventh race where we've got three and up New York bred maiden special weights going five and a half on the turf and a full field signed on. I thought that Haymack, it's Jack, the two runner looks like one who might be better suited to this sharper five furlong turf sprint configuration up north than that more galloping six or seven furlong turf sprint configuration down south. I thought this horse ran pretty well last time before maybe a combination of a slightly early move and the distance just got to him a bit. I think he can get the, the elusive maiden win in this spot, not one that I want to stand alone with. And I thought there was an interesting potential long shot. Speaking of your man, Luis Saez, in number nine, ripe for mischief in this spot. This horse uh, might have been a little short of fitness as well last time. And who knows? This could have been the plan all along for connections in the Bond Barn. We know target this Saratoga meet. Maybe it was get the leg stretcher down there and, and then, you know, uh, bring in the man Sias to try to get the win up here. I liked it 2-9 in race number seven. How did you see it, my friend? Well, as far as the nine is concerned, at 12-1, to one, this horse showed a pattern which we used to, my people in the uh, handicapping class used to love, which is showed early speed for the first time. Yep. Uh, I learned that from them. And at huge odds, and with a rider who's not, not our uh, best common denominator in, in a meet like this, and then suddenly has the big rider sh uh, shift, shortens up, and uh, Bond, Saez have had one long shot winner together and I, but I especially like this before even looking at the trainer or the jockey I like the way the horse suddenly had woke up after not being it's a woke horse uh, it's woke <laughs> betting we call it but uh, and then the, uh, the other horse that I just looked long at because it's Castellano and it's uh, on the five and a half furlong turf is the one horse uh, boy, I tried to find something good about his pedigree and I couldn't find it, <laughs> but I, I checked the racing post. I checked everything, but, um, uh, the shorter distance he might survive because he got caught at a, at a half furlong longer and, um, he might just uh, survive there with, with the jockey he has. And I'm not as worried about the turf pedigree stuff when you've got, um, you've got proven form. I mean, and Freud, you know, we know the, the Freud city zip cross sort of a classic modern New York grass bread cross. I, I think it'd be all right there. Just a question of if uh, built to last 
is is good enough to get the job done for Tom Morley and Castellano. Certainly connections you want to be giving an extra look, I would think, to up here at Saratoga. So a couple interesting ideas from Mark there in race number seven. And with that, we'll go to grade one action in the Vanderbilt. Jackie's Warrior, a legit one to five shot. When it comes to this pick six, I'm not going to spend any money opposing. If he doesn't win, I won't win. Do you like Jackie's Warrior in here? Or do you think there's an opportunity to get creative? Look, sometimes creative people have a problem that they force creativity where it shouldn't be existing. And I tried to force an argument on the uh, the three horse, NY traffic or New York traffic, um, by drawing a line through all the horses' route races. And um, he is three for, for, for four with Irad, who hasn't had a long shot winner yet. Um, and he, he beat a horse in, I think it was in uh, Pennsylvania, who came back to win in Maryland. Uh, Baron, I think the name of the horse was. And uh, so that, that race might be better than it looked. So if, if I, if some people say, well, everybody's going to have Jackie's Warrior and that makes it a pick five. If somebody wants to take a stab on a secondary ticket, that would be the horse that I would put in there, the three. But but Jackie's Warrior just looks like a an absolute standout here. Absolutely. But that's a clever idea on New York traffic and a horse to maybe round out the exacta if, uh, if, if nothing else. And like you said, to have a few backup lines on. I'm going to go ahead in my notes and just list as your, as your top pick at the value, making it very clear you respect Jackie's Warrior as well. Does that, does that work? Yeah, I really am in awe by, of Jackie's Warrior. It's more than just respect. <laughs> I love that. Let's talk about the Jim Dandy grade two action, this key prep for the Travers and an interesting race in its own right. Epicenter making his return to the races along with early voting, the reopposing top two from the Preakness. I give a little edge to Epicenter, who I keep saying in interviews has the dubious distinction in my view of having been best in the Derby and the Preakness without winning either one. I think he probably needed the fresh inning he got. I think he's going to come back. I love that Rosario's keeping the mount after the post-race interview on Preakness Day with Steve Asmussen. Didn't sound all that likely that Rosario would be keeping them out, but I'm glad cooler heads have prevailed. I think he's going to be aggressive with Epicenter this time around. I think he's going to sit off early voting's hip, and I think he might just have too much for him in the lane, Mark. I'm all about Epicenter while still obviously respecting these two Chad Brown runners in early voting in Zandon. How do you see it, though? Well, you know, it's a five-horse field, and uh, I think the only value I see here is to exclude the number five Zandon as not getting up on time because the pace is thoroughly controlled by early voting and epicenter thoroughly controls the, the presser position. So I would tend to want to use both of those two. I agree that epicenter looks a tad better than early voting, but early voting gets loose. As a lone front runner, uh, you know, Epicenter, something has happened with Epicenter that little by little, he's losing speed. He was, a, he was a front runner, then he was a presser, then he was a closer. And I don't know if this is by design or if there's something going on in the head of this horse that we don't know about. If that happened uh, tomorrow 
or for Jim Dandy, then that would uh, give early voting uh, an especially good chance to walk away with it. So I would, I, I couldn't throw out early voting here. You raise a legitimate concern. I think it's circumstantial. I think tactically in the Derby with all that speed, Rosario quite correctly didn't want his horse to get caught up in it. So I think that was by, that was by design. Then I think in the Preakness, I think the plan was to go forward. He just broke a little flat-footed, and then he had that bad check early. And I think Rosario was down to plan C or D when it came right. time to uh, make the decision to bring him to the rail, which didn't seem like a great place on Preakness Day either. And he still made that huge run, especially after being criticized rather harshly by the trainer. I, I'd be very, very surprised if he doesn't show that early speed. And maybe he was going off form, and that's why he broke a little bit flat-footed at Pimlico. But he's had time, and he appears to be working well. I think we're going to see the good epicenter on Saturday. But I agree with you. In a perfect world, just like in the Preakness, I say if with early voting, I'll probably be doing it a little bit again here. And I'm with you. Love Zandon, but I also think he is probably, of those three, the one who's the most prepping for the Travers as a – Chad Brown attempts to win his first Traverse Stakes, one of the few that he hasn't gotten it, uh, gotten the win in. We'll see. He's going to go there with a strong hand, I bet, uh, with these two horses, especially if they do what they're supposed to do in this prep. But I, I think Epicenter is going to take an awful lot of beating. Let's move on to race number 10. We've got an allowance race on the grass going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Big favorite, I think, going to be in here, Mark, in the form of, uh, of the 12 runner. For Todd Pletcher in uh, Cap Capensis, were you, were you with or against this horse? You know, uh, this horse uh, is lightly raced, which is perfect for the con conditions. There are a bunch of proven losers here. Uh, Jay Ortiz is doing quite well uh, with uh, with everything he gets on, and. Um, uh, this is a classic type of horse that fits the condition book. However, I do have two other horses here. Um, I have the eight uh, because Ricochet is two for three on the turf at this distance. And uh, the Michael Maker-Sayas combination, 12 to one. That sounds like really good odds. And I also have the three orchestration who may want uh, a longer distance, but he did win at Saratoga on the grass. And so I, I could not throw out orchestration either. I feel like I'd be accused of a host fail if I didn't ask you about number 10 Coliseo who brings group one French form to the party. Uh, obviously you didn't mention among your, your top picks, I know the Catalano yard doesn't have the best record with first time imports. I was going to put the 12 on top, but I was going to look to save with the 10 in this spot, but I'll defer to you on what you think of Coliseo and how those French form lines stack up. Well, the horse is getting Lasix, uh, does have Rosario. However, you know, halfway back in his career, they had a lot of hopes for this horse class wise, and he, he didn't fulfill then they pretty much gave up on him by sending him to race at Nantes, which is a second or third class track where he did win his last race. Um, six to one, I think the odds are, are too low on this horse 
for, uh, I don't think Catalano is the type of trainer that is going to, uh, that has credentials for, for bringing a horse from a, from a second level track in France to win here. Am I correct though, that a replication of his best form would bury this field just in terms of class and, 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 and form and figures. Yeah. But what's happened to the horse, you know, Maybe he had a bleeding problem. I mean, the Lasix might be the answer for this horse. Uh, but shipping to Nantes is, was a negative sign for me. Yeah. You know, I had a question, and I'm not – I wonder – I don't remember the, the conversation that we had in one of our previous interviews, but that there was one – tell me if any what resonates with you to, to this. Somebody asked when we had Mark on the last time, he spoke about a particularly bucolic track – in France that he enjoyed going to above, above others. Do you, can you think of what that might be? Uh, probably that track is called Evreux, E-V-R-E-U-X, which you can get to in an hour from Paris. Uh, then you have to either take your bike and, or in the train or take a taxi because it's in the country. This is a country class with the funkiest grandstand you'll ever see in racing in any, any place in the world. It's a, it looks like a structure that if somebody uh, dropped their cigarette, it would go up in flames. <laughs> uh, but the countryside is beautiful. And for those of you who don't want to go so far astray and you're in France, uh, the other Deauville track, Clairefontaine, uh, Gina Rarick did a, a video on, on that track, which is quite interesting. She's American trainer in France. Clairefontaine is just an absolutely beautiful track. It's within walking distance of the beach. It's got green hills. You see the horses coming around the turn. Uh, Clairefontaine would be another place I'd recommend for you to go. Fantastic stuff. You're, you're getting my my travel itch is uh, is 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 getting very strong as you're describing this stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about French racing as the season goes on. But right now we're going to talk about Saturday's nightcap at Saratoga, where we've got quarter claimers $25,000 claimers going one mile on the inner turf if you're playing this pick six mark how are you going to get paid you know what you can't you can't choose I can't single this race that's for sure it's tricky uh I have um a horse that's I've coming I'm coming up with the horses that are the lowest odds in the morning line so it looks like I'm not too brilliant on this race um <laughs> The the one that uh, the one that uh, by the trainer long shot trainer standings is interesting is the number one the last zip which is the highest odds of all of the of the morning line horses at five to one uh, he's one for one on the turf at Saratoga Joe Sharp has had some really good long shots I'm not too excited about the the jockey McCarthy. But he can get the job done, and uh, but the interesting angle here, since I'm into poetry, is that um, Joe Sharp claimed this horse from his old boss. So what does that tell you? <laughs> it's interesting, that's for sure. Um, I'm with you on the last zip in this spot. I, I actually made my second pick. Um, I, I put big agenda on top, who I thought was interesting off the claim for Jeremiah Engelhard, who already has a couple winners this meet. 
But I like the last run from Big Agenda, making a move in the fastest part of that race. And I thought might go a little bit better cutting back to the mile. But the last zip has loads of angles. You've got a previous Saratoga winner, now second off the layoff. And in that last race was trying to close into inadequately slow fractions. And I was hoping it might be a little bit faster and set up better for him today. So I had a 3-1. You mentioned you weren't going to single, Mark. Who were some of the other numbers you want on your ticket? Well, Big Agenda was my second uh, probability based on the fact that the horse was claimed four times in the last five races. Yep. In fact, uh, I'd recommend going claiming the horse. <laughs> Why not claim him? If you, if, and um, I think that uh, uh, the, the other touted horses also look good. I mean, number nine, Healing, uh, has a mild drop, loves the grass. Michael Maker is the trainer, and he's, I'm predicting he's going to be the, the leader of the meet. And, uh, and, and seven, I, I can't, can you throw out Jack the cat? Can you throw him out? I couldn't throw him out. I don't have anything major against Jack the cat. I was just thinking there might be more appealing options at, uh, at, at better prices, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with the idea of having either of those runners as backups. I was just trying to, to gain a little bit of equity by getting stuck more into the ones that I like, but if you like you on the one and three, yeah. But uh, yeah, the seven nine appealing appealing backup options. That's an interesting one too. You, you mentioned the the boss, um, the, the the ex employee claiming from the boss. This is this is one friend claiming from another, which you don't see too often. With two guys who've been on the show and two guys who've claimed for or who've trained for our uh, friends and sponsors, Adelphi Racing Club. Uh, but with uh, Rob Falcone Jr. and and Ray Handel. So there, who knows? There might be some backstory there too with, with a couple of runners in this race. But yeah, I love it, Mark. This was great. Really appreciate you not only giving us your picks on the Saturday card, but also a little bit of an overview of how you like to look at the, at, at these races. It's you know typical to the philosophies you put forth in your book. It's a little bit different than, uh, than, than what you get in a lot of places. And I really appreciate you taking the time out and uh, spending some of it with us today. Well, if one of your, uh, any of your listeners nails the pick six, just let me know. I would be very happy to hear that. I Definitely. Good we, news and that would be the best from- news I could get. We hear from people all the time who, even if it's just help with, with one leg, are able to score with picks on the show. And we encourage people, if you do happen to do really well, we love when they support a cause that I know you believe in as well, Mark. Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, our founding partners, you know, you can donate directly to them, trfinc.org slash players. We're actually doing a little benefit for them if you happen to be in Saratoga for a very inexpensive price. You can join us for bagels and Bloody Marys on the backstretch on Saturday morning. You can give directly through that same trfinc.org slash players link, or you can buy our t-shirt. We've got a special t-shirt that uh, comes baked in with a $50 donation to the TRF. I wish I was wearing it today. It's the green shirt and it says, I won and so did they with the classic TRF logo. You can find that one um, in the moneypodcast.com slash old smoke if you want to support a great cause. That well, way. Pete, you know, as an, as an old claimer myself, <laughs> Uh, I appreciate having the right to, to a good retirement. And so I identify <laughs> with all the claimers that I've been betting on and enjoying for years that they have a place to go to stay after they've raced. So this cause is really important, especially for us, because we derive so much enjoyment from this game. 
The book is called Please Hold All Tickets. Check out any Mark Kramer book you can find, honestly. I've never read one that I didn't get something very positive out of. Mark, you did too good a job. You, you know what that means. You're going to be bothered again very soon. Great to talk to you. <laughs> Cheers, my friend. The next segment on the show, Baby Talk, is brought to you by our friends at Gainesway. From top international bloodlines to rising stars on American soil, Gainesway has put together a stallion roster that is not only prime for future success, but is currently making its mark on the track, led by Caraconti's rising star, Spenderella. Make sure to check out their entire roster for 2022 and see for yourself the power, passion, and performance of Gainesway. Next up on the show, very happy to introduce our baby talk segment and couldn't have a better guest for this one. He literally wrote a book on the subject of betting maiden races and two-year-old races from the daily racing form. He is Dan Illman. Dan, what's up, my man? Yeah, I'm always having a good time talking to you, Pete, and it's the best time of the year for horse players, especially if you like two-year-old racing. Saratoga, Del Mar, the future stars are starting to come out. That's for sure. We've seen in recent years your focus um, at least in your daily work for DRF, shifted a little bit more to the Mid-Atlantic. But I know two-year-olds is the thing that you've uh, been very involved in and, and done the work on for a very long time. Do they have as much prominence for you as, uh, as they have in years past? They do. Maybe not as much, but we still do a daily spa baby video with uh, the very capable and talented Nicole Russo from DRF Breeding. And those videos are up every day on the Daily Racing Form YouTube channel for Saratoga. So check them out. And speaking of the DRF YouTube channel, and obviously with this going up on YouTube, we can, you know, hopefully get some good cross-pollination going with all the stuff you've been doing with, with DRF TV. Tell us a little bit about what that is and where folks can find it. A great opportunity to take a look at uh, different opinions from different handicappers all across the country. So we have Brad Free, of course, the ace DRF handicapper in Southern California. He'll take you through video previews of the Southern California major races. You've got the extremely fantastic handicappers, David Aragona, Craig Milkowski. They've got the Time Form US Pacecast Stakes previews with myself and Mike Beer and David and Brad and Craig Milkowski. And we've got lots more coming up down the road as well. It's a fantastic team. And those are all people whose opinions I want to hear. We had the pleasure of having David Aragona on the oh, most great. recent Baby Talk. Yeah, great getting his thoughts on just the general approach to two-year-old racing, obviously much of which you, you laid out in, in your book. Since the time the book came out to now, how, if at all, has your approach to two-year-old race handicapping changed? I think with experience, I've learned, and it's always fun to pick a first-time starter and try to be, you know, one of the ones that catch a future star before everybody else. But I think experience has taught me that experience is very important in two-year-old races. And when you have an opportunity to see a horse that's run once or twice and has shown great promise, what a tremendous advantage those horses have over first-time starters, no matter how well-connected or how well they've been working in the morning, just that racing experience, the fitness edge they get, it's a big advantage. And we'll see that in one of the races at Saratoga this weekend. Well, that's a perfect pivot to our uh, first race that we're going to talk about on, uh, on Saturday at Saratoga. Where should we begin, Dan? Let's start things off with the opener, Peter. It's five and a half furlongs. It's a really nice two-year-old race. You've got some strong pedigrees in this race, albeit perhaps some of those pedigrees for longer distance turf racing. <laughs> that's right. And how much does that 
factor in? When you see a pedigree you love and, and you're seeing them going this inadequate five and a half, does that take a horse you're interested in and make them a horse you're against? Or, or do you try to, to keep an open mind in those situations? I try to keep an open mind and then you pivot to the trainer. And then you go into your formulator past performances and you try to figure out, does this trainer do well uh, with two-year-old first-time starters in dirt sprints and with formulator, then you can click on those horses. Do those horses have stamina-oriented pedigrees? With first-time starters, there are the three main aspects. There's pedigree, of course. There are the workouts. And now we have the great advantage of having clock reports from all over the place, including DRF and, of course, trainer statistics. Because a lot of these trainers, they love to give them a race or two. Some love to fire first out. So you got to have the mixture. And I think if you're a first-time starter going against experienced horses, you got to have a little bit of all of them. Yeah, that sounds about right. We've only got one who's run so far in this two-year-old maiden that kicks off the Saratoga Saturday card, Tatum, the three-runner, horse who showed some speed on debut back at Parks. you have any interest in this one, potentially, against some of these uh, fancy pedigrees? I have a lot of interest because even though this horse ran really well in his debut, he is a park shipper with Abner Adorno aboard, which means he's got to be a price against a field full of first-time starters with your Mots and your Asmussens and your McGahees and your Godolphins and Brendan Walsh's. You're absolutely right. He showed good speed in his debut and he pressed a horse that was four to one, took some money. That horse backed out of it and Tatum fought all the way down to the wire, beaten by a nose. He's trained by Danny Velasquez, who's done some good work with two-year-old over the years, horses like Brooklyn Strong, Lauban and a Prayer in New York. So I think this horse benefits from the experience. He should show speed in here. And if some of these turfy, rowdy pedigrees come into play, his five and a half furlong pedigree is just fine for me. Let's talk about a horse that another one that I think is going to probably benefit from, from having a run. Um, Bourbon Resolve installed as the two to one morning line favorite. Ian Wilkes, a trainer. I don't, I know he can win first out, but I always think of his trainees improving with each increment, improving incrementally with each start. What do you think about Bourbon Resolve as a candidate to win this? I, I think he's one of the more interesting first time starters in the race, but you're absolutely right. Wilkes trained horses like to get a race or two, get their feet underneath them. But this is a half to misinterpret who won the off-turf PG Johnson last year at Saratoga when that race was turned into a sprint when it was washed off of the turf. The source for $200,000 as a yearling. And just look at the bottom of this pedigree. The dam's a half-sister to two millionaires. Paul is silver lining, a very good sprinter, and Dad's Caps, who won two editions of the prestigious Grade 1 Carter. So there's sprint over sprint in this pedigree. A couple of these workouts, including that big bullet on July 17th, looks like it came in company with a horse named Our Dream Rider, who I believe is entered in the second race on turf. Well, a very interesting little collateral morning form angle there for Bourbon Resolve. Let's talk about a few others of these, including the number two Swiss Guard by American Pharaoh. Definitely catches the eye. This one uh, owned by Winchell Thoroughbreds. Oh, no doubt about it. And Steve Asmussen, you just get the feelings getting ready to pop. He's overdue, isn't he, with these first-time starters? He's about 25% the last five years with two-year-old firsters and maiden special weights at Saratoga. And this one is by American Pharaoh, sold for $150,000 as a yearling. The dam's a half to a stakes-winning dirt sprinter, so there is speed on the bottom of this pedigree, and the second dam won her career debut. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if this source shows some speed, but I also wouldn't be surprised if this source takes significant money. Capture the flag, the five runner in here for Shug McGahee, a homebred for Joe Allen. 
talk about a sexy pedigree by a quality road out of war flag by war front, you would think potentially the five and a half inadequate, but going to get some needed experience. And it is interesting. Saya is getting the booking. I don't know. Maybe I'm underrating this one's chances. Where do you stand with capture the flag? You just look at the pedigree. I think war flag, you know, was a grade one stakes winner on the turf. I believe she won the flower bowl. And you look at this pedigree. She is a full sister to lines of battle who won the UAE Derby and was a champion stayer in Hong Kong. So this is all route on the bottom, especially some turf. But these workouts, very interesting. Shug's had this horse on the tab for a real long time now, since about late April, early May. And some of these workouts look good. I think you make a very good point about having size, an aggressive rider aboard. Shug's first-time starters, we're used to them being taken to the back. They make a run, and you say, watch them next time. Luis is aggressive. Maybe this horse will show some speed. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. We might as well talk about the rest of this six-pack. We'll go next to team leader by Street Boss, uh, this Godolphin homebred you alluded to before, what do you expect we're going to see from him? Uh, Brendan Walsh is a very, very good trainer, and I think that this horse is going to show a little bit of speed in here. Street bosses generally do. Now, I actually like the street bosses sprinting on turf a little bit, but he wins 16% with juvenile debut runners. The dam's a full sister to a horse named Tizaquina, who is a graded stakes winner at a mile. It's an interesting mixture in the pedigree. Speed over stamina. I have a feeling this one might need one, but this is the typical watch the board. Yeah, that sounds about right. Space, another homebred. This one uh, out with a Claiborne pedigree by Ghost Zapper. Bill Mott, you don't think of typically winning with first-time starters, but again, it's not like it's an impossible scenario. This one at a very big price, I don't know, might be a little bit interesting as an alternative. What do you think about space? And it does seem like the Mott train first-time starters are a little bit more alive and a little bit fit, ready to go. He had a debut winner, albeit in an off-the-turf race, American Rockette, Frank's Rockettes, a little baby sibling earlier this meet. This horse has an interesting pedigree. You know, Go Sapper is a very versatile sire. And talk about versatility, the damn one on all three surfaces. And this damn's a full sister to Mucho, who is a horse that maybe never really panned out but he was also favored in the hopeful as a two-year-old at saratoga and hit the board that day so maybe this one will be early interesting that they breezed him on the turf for the last works got to get out of there from the rail you mentioned watching the board and obviously you're going to need to know the prices before you really commit to a wager in this spot but from this far out if i tried to hold your feet to the fire for for a selection or two in this race how would you do it I like Tatum in here. I, I, I think the experience is going to count, and I know this horse is going to show speed from the gate. We'll see how he classes up, shipping up from parks, but I think he's bound to be a price, even with that solid speed figure uh, in his corner. Curious to see what Capture the Flag does. I know it's turf pedigree, but you mentioned Saez. The works look pretty solid. I think this horse will show a little bit more speed and surprise than folks. Show could have found a two-turn turf maiden special for this horse. That's a fair, a very fair point. So it might be here with a little more intent as that jockey booking suggests as well. While we've got you, Dan, let's do something we don't always do on these shows. We'll look ahead to a race on Sunday. We've got another really interesting two-year-old race that goes as race number six for the two-year-old Phillies going five and a half, nine runners, because we've got an entry in here with the eight 
betting interest. Where should we start? Where, where, who's the most interesting horse for, to, to you just uh, from a discussion point of view? Well, there's been a little bit of buzz going on around the number five prank. And I believe our good friend, David Aragona, who of course makes the line for Naira, made this horse the morning line favorite. This is one of several into mischief babies in the race, sold for a lot of money. You got Todd Pletcher. The workouts look good. There's a lot to like about prank in this race, but he's far from the only horse in this field. You know, the into mischiefs. I mean, at this point, if it's a race where if we're talking about a, a, a first time starter race where I'm looking to spread, I'm not going to leave any of them out. I mean, the, the numbers are the numbers are wild. And obviously these connections, you ignore at your own peril. Um, but from a wagering point of view, perhaps we can find something as as an alternative. Um, He's also a half to Modonigal, this horse, by the way. That doesn't that doesn't that doesn't hurt the chances though. Uh, the five and a half, not impossible. And you hear this about a lot of the buzzy two year olds, so and so's best horse in the barn. A lot of times they're going to end up being better going longer. Now the into mischief makes me think. I don't want to say that the five and a half is going to be inadequately short. But when you talk about that damn side of the pedigree, it, it's it's not impossible. All the buzz could be true, and this horse could still be a, a good second or third in this spot. So so with that in mind, from a wagering point of view, what's another direction to go? Perhaps another into mischief, baby? I think you hit the nail on the head. Maybe the number six high class. This is a horse that sold that was bought back. Uh, that's a horse that sold for $575,000 as a yearling. It's an Asmussen firster. The dam was grade three stakes place sprinting on a synthetic surface. It's a family of a horse that placed in the Wood Memorial just a coincidence. This horse worked two back with uh, one of those buzz Asmussen horses that drew in from the AES list last week and I think finished a wide second. Um, I'm curious to see what this horse does. Uh, I think the price will be right for him and i think saint benedict's prep the first time starter for chad brown looks rather interesting as well i know i talked about the experienced horses uh, but i want first time starters in this race and i'm leaning into mischiefs yeah i mean that makes absolute sense given some of these pedigrees and connections associated and before we go pete before we got boy there's a horse supposedly at del mar on saturday that has been working off the board He's trained by this guy named Baffert. I, I don't know where he was. <laughs> I his think I heard New, of him. His name's Newgate in the sixth race. And guess who he's by? Uh, is he an into mischief? Yeah, he certainly <laughs> is. And supposedly he can run a little bit. So maybe the sixth at Del Mar is a horse where we can watch a star first. Although there is another Baffert in there. And you know the rule. <laughs> we saw it the other day. The it's not the it's not the but it's not necessarily the buzzy one. He's got so many That's that right. uh, they, they can come and 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 pop up and get you. But yeah, I've heard tell about that Newgate as well. Um, before we, before I let you go, any others that you want to touch on briefly in this Sunday six race at, at Saratoga? Or do you feel pretty good about the five to six and then the and then that one entry, especially the, the, the brown train one? Well, you know me, I could go all day long. The two check, uh, the number two check engine light, Jorge Abreu, underrated with first time starters. Dam's a uh, half sister to a horse named Arrogate. Oh my goodness. Well, that, that has the potential to be very, very buzzy as well on her breaking from the rail. Very, very cool pedigree. There's so many of them up here and Dan really appreciate you taking time out to chat with us on uh, in such a busy time of week. Look forward to getting to see you in person and Hey, perhaps we'll do another one of these before too long. Pete, you do great work. Love the show. Love the team you've put together. You're too kind. We'll talk soon, Dan. All right. Bye-bye. In the Money Media, very happy to be partnering with Naira and Naira Bets. There's a free money promo code for new customers. You want to check that out, Toga200. Tell your friends, get them signed up. 
What else do I want to tell you about Naira? The TV schedule. We've got an easy place for you now to see where they're going to be when in the moneypodcast.com slash TV. That'll give you the full schedule if you want to catch up with JK, Maggie, Acacia, and the rest of the crew. And also contests every Saturday of the $300 variety. You can find more information about those at naira.com and nairabets.com. That's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank all of today's guests for donating their time and coming and joining us here today. We'll thank our founding partners, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, trfinc.org slash players, and also 10 Strike Racing. Great to see the purple and black in the winner's circle at Saratoga yesterday and to get a time to hang out with so many of the different 10 Strike partners who've been around Saratoga this meet. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you for watching, for listening, especially you In The Money Plus subscribers. To learn more about that service, go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. But really for everybody, and a reminder, if you can't support us through the Plus service, that's cool. You can do stuff for free. You can rate, review, and subscribe. Really helps other people find the show by, you know, letting the algorithm know that people out there like you care. So please support us in any way you can. We really very much appreciate it. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Holler at producer Craig, the soon-to-be uh, newlywed. Such a pleasure to be working with him. We're so lucky to have him and, and uh, wish uh, wish him uh, Godspeed in his endeavors this weekend and beyond. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos. <laughs>